0: Sameness is kind of just it, it's a comfort that you fall into, right? Neil, you, know, you said it best that a lot of times, you know, especially like working with developers and things like that, you know, they're looking for something that is quick and easy that sells and can turn around. And and sometimes, you know, it's the the factory mentality, and sometimes it's just you know of the area. But I mean, it's still it's something to kind of like quickly turn around. But then you also have kind of the opposite thought is that. You can still make it something quick and easy because you're working with the same kit of parts, but something that's very unique to the place.
1: Yeah, kit of parts is a – I hate that
0: term.
2: Welcome to ArchiSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. <laughs>
1: Welcome to episode 110 of the Arcuspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Droxel. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of Arcuspeak is sponsored by Arcat and BQE Software. We'll talk more about each of them a little later in the show.
0: All right, so let's just jump right into the show. And I was thinking about a topic, and it was a series of conversations that I had. One, it kind of started with my wife, then it carried over the next day into conversation at the office. And then third day in a row, um, it carried over into an airport bar where there was a doctor, a lawyer, and an IT guy. <laughs> oh, man, where's <laughs> this joke going?
1: <laughs> no,
0: those were the guys that I was actually talking to. <laughs> so I've been thinking a lot about this. And, and honestly, this stemmed mostly from just a question that started with my wife now we're not neither one of us are from the DC area we're both originally from the Detroit metro area and i predominantly grew up in the Tampa Bay area of Florida and she grew up mostly in Michigan and then moved down to the Tampa Bay area where we met um many years later and through that time we ultimately landed in dc and we've we've always said Is this the place we want to stay now both you guys are living in the places that you grew up in you've been a part of that community and you've been a part of where you've been it's shaped who you are and things like that and you know i've been somewhat of a bedouin you know i've moved from place to place i've been overseas and lived there for a while and you know and, and all these different places so I've seen a lot of different places and I know you guys have traveled a lot. So more recently, I've been going back and forth between the Baltimore office where I'm based out of, um, with, uh, the firm I work for, and we have a DC office and i drive into DC from the suburbs. And then once I get into DC, you know, I kind of take this not so direct path into the, uh, into the office. And normally I pull up Waze or, um, Apple maps and just kind of, it takes me in whichever way it goes. And most of the time it, you know, takes me different ways. So this is a very long route to get to where, where I'm going here, but bear with me for a second. So I've been noticing that every time I drive into DC, as I'm driving from the Maryland suburbs, which has a very similar kind of feel to, you know, kind of almost an anywhere kind of feel, um, America, into the city. And when I get into the city, it feels like one place in one place only. Washington, D.C. It feels like no other place that I've ever been to. And we've been to several different AIA conferences. And, you know, you've had... We've been down to Atlanta, and we've been to D.C., we've been to the um, Philadelphia one. And and where all of this is going is, you know, the other day my wife asked me, she goes, okay, so we've never really been sure if, if Maryland and D.C. was the fit for us, if we wanted to go back home to Florida or maybe go home to Michigan and things like that. And she asked me, she goes, you want to stay here, so why do you want to stay here? And I went through this whole conversation about how I like the aesthetic of this place. I like that this place feels like DC and DC only the architecture, the everything about DC feels like DC. And when you go to places like say Florida or to the suburbs of Metro Detroit, they've built up and they've become very suburbanized they have they're the same things the same um, businesses and they have a sameness to them she under she kind of understood where i was going with it and then i, I sort of was having the same conversation at the office um more more of just kind of like a a, a conversation that just spawned off of the question that my wife asked but then Just a random meeting between a bunch of people in a St. Louis airport, all waiting to go to either Boise, Um, one was going back to the Baltimore area like I was, and one was going to Detroit. And then there was me. And this physician, he kind of sparked up the conversation, goes, so where are you guys from? And, you know, we all started talking about it. And as he was talking, he was talking about moving from the suburbs back into the city of Detroit. And his reason and rationale behind that was, is he wanted to move back to a city that had an identity that was different than the suburbs, that was different from everywhere else, that had its own kind of unique nature, something that felt like Detroit and Detroit only, and, and I started thinking about that, you know, it's like, what makes where we live or what makes the, the larger cities and stuff like that more appealing? Because, you know, there's, there seems to be a mass movement more recently, especially with like the, the millennials to move back into the city and be a part of something that's unique rather than same. And so I've really been kind of dwelling on the sameness.
2: Yeah. You should come to Orange County. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's all the same. And and it's spread way outside of there too.
0: Well, you know what's interesting about when I came out and visited you and and driving around some of like the areas like say um just outside of like western LA County, a lot of it kind of feels the same. But you know, it's got its a little unique nature. But then when you drive into your town, Claremont, mm-hmm. Claremont feels very different from yeah, it even this. its surrounding areas. I think that has to do with college towns, though,
2: more than anything. I don't know. I could be wrong there. But a lot of college towns that I've visited have that kind of feel. And, and it's maybe because they've been established for longer. I mean, we're on the West Coast. We don't have nearly the history that you guys do back on the East Coast. And so the urban planning is is a lot more... I would just say haphazard out here with, with a, lot of the, a lot of the urban sprawl that's happened. But if you go into actual cities where urban planning was a much bigger deal, and especially when you're talking about D.C., right, I've been there a few times, and you're right, There's it has its own iconography. It has its own... It's very strongly identifiable by just the layouts and the edges and the monuments and the landmarks and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's right. very much a, a city with an image that that is unique to itself compared to, you know, if you come out here, you can't tell where one town starts and the next one is because there aren't edges here. The, the edges are the freeways and you use the freeways to travel through the towns and so everything's connected and uh, it's very car-centric back here. It's, it's it's different, so.
0: Well, but Neil, you just went on um, kind of a day, day trip vacation for your kid's homework assignment and you were talking about you'd just gone to Carmel for the first time and how how does that feel or how does it kind of I mean to me when we went to um, Monterey together nothing about and and I grew up on a coastal town St. Petersburg Florida feels completely different from anything that I saw in California on coastal towns Mm. and there's just this kind of unique nature you know I was even thinking about this as i was driving in through the i I drive through and drive up north capitol street and things like that you know i'm driving through uh northwest dc you know the more affluent neighborhoods and i'm getting into northeastern dc um closer to uh the train station and things like that and just a few blocks away from the capitol building when i'm in the dc office and the interesting thing about it is is that baltimore know we saw it in philadelphia you know it's up in new york i mean the 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 row home uh building type it feels very different in each of those places even though it's the same kind of you know probably the same layout the same floor plate size or things like that for some reason the housing type feels very unique to dc more so than than other places. But then when I go to Philadelphia and we walked around, you know, Philadelphia and we were um had the great tour around like say the Eastern State Penitentiary and, and things like that, that the the row homes that were there felt very unique to its place. Just kinda of curious. Yeah.
2: I, I, I it's interesting because it's like it's the same thing we struggle with on projects, which is giving the project an identity. Thank you, that's where I was actually going. <laughs> but also stitching it in and making it contextual to its place. Because, I mean, this is one of the big problems I have when I see uh, student work um, or certain professional work, too. I, I've been to Hernandez Alonso's lectures at SciArc, and, uh, you know, you see morphosis buildings, and you look at stuff done by Eric Owen Moss. And, I mean, these are iconic architects, and they, they do contextualist buildings also right They're they're not fitting in they're doing everything they can to stand
0: out honestly that's that's sort of where i was going with it and i i kind of was taking the long route to get there but <laughs> well yeah it's 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 a
2: it's a weird thing because especially when you do university work and well let's just say educational work uh, you're trying to typically do a small project on a large campus yeah and, and yes. so you're talking about the same thing i mean it I don't know, Neil, you could probably talk about doing residential work when you've got neighbors on both sides. I mean, we see a lot of residential work where the beautiful photography of the, the house on the knoll looking over the sea and it's all by itself. And there was nothing to like try to stitch it in with, with all of their neighbors because there aren't neighbors, but that's rare. That doesn't happen so much. I mean, so this happens on a lot of projects is how do you fit in and give something an identity?
0: Well, you know, what's interesting about that, and, and Neil, I'm going to throw a little bit more residential stuff at you real quick, and, and please interrupt any time, but, you know, one of the things that I was looking at is, so I drive out of the suburbs, and I'm watching all of these developments pop up all around me, and I've seen this house, this house with that house that's now... Um, taking over, like, say, just even my neighborhood, which were these really small 1950s, late 40s, early 50s developments that were popping up around. They were post-war developments that were popping up around major uh, government campuses like, you know, um, National Institute of Health, NIH is, is just a couple blocks away from where I live. And so a lot of these developments popped up around those areas where people were going to be working. And there's nothing to write home about. They're, you know, these little teeny, you know, split level ranchers or, you know, really small houses. But there's something that's somewhat semi-unique to the area. I mean, brick construction and they just, they feel, I've seen other ranchers all around. and But this one just seems to have kind of a Maryland flair to it but as they're being demoed and replaced with a much bigger house they're just out of a catalog they look like anywhere usa and the character of the place is being left behind by just the need for larger bigger let me maximize the footprint on you know the buildable area on my site kind of feel, and that starts to almost suburbanize some areas that otherwise had character.
1: Well, I think the each residential neighborhood is a reflection of the time that it was built. And sometimes that's a good reflection. I believe that most of the time we look at maybe houses from the 20s or 30s, or perhaps... Um, there's not a whole lot out in on the West Coast that's neighborhoods built up from before that. I mean, there's there's certainly plenty, but but at least in in the Bay Area here, it's mostly houses from the 20s and the 30s, maybe even a little older. And what I'm trying to get at is we look on those houses as something that's nice and of a style and architecture that we seem to appreciate. And I think some of that goes back to the craftsmanship that was put into those houses that were typical of the time that they were built. Uh, You had craftsmen building the houses, so you get a lot of good detail to those houses. And then we had a little strip away from that detail once we get into post-World War II, when the houses were just being built to house everybody that was coming back from the war, and people could afford a house, and I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that and but we have some nostalgia for even those homes and maybe even maybe into the 60s but over time these styles change and i think that a little bit of that goes throughout the country um i think i think you see a lot of very similar type of housing in all across the country just based on the time that it's built And we seem to have this uh, – there was certainly a period of some not-so-great residential housing, 70s, maybe the 80s, and I don't know, Mm -hmm, probably all the way up to today, right? But each each group of housing you can look at and say it's a product of its time, and whether that's good or bad, it is what it is. (laughs) And you get that sameness throughout the country or all over. I think today we have a lot of that – maybe even uh, blowing up of houses because a, we have a need for larger houses or some could argue we don't uh, that a family of four lived just fine in a 1200 square foot house and they don't need a 3,500 square foot house
0: or a family of five in an 800. And-
1: <laughs> All right. But, uh, very true Cormac. But, but I would also argue that it's not 1950 anymore and our needs or desires are different, right? Uh, the way we live in our houses now is different than we lived in our houses then. I'm not trying to justify oh, the, no, no, bad no, no, architecture no, no. here, yeah. but I'm just saying that the times are different, right? Nobody's going to go out and build an 800 or 1,200-square-foot house and uh, expect to sell that for a million dollars out here on the West Coast. Well, actually, it depends on where you're at. Maybe that would sell for a million dollars. But my point is... Is that if you're going to remodel your house or you're going to build a new house, you're going to build to what you think um, the market is going to bear today. So, and that's so, a very different market than it was in 1950. But I want to say one more thing on that, which okay. is I think that a show like – or shows on a program like HGTV right now only because we don't normally get that channel. So that's what the my wife enjoys watching when we're uh, on 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 trips – but I think a lot of people see that and they see what other people are doing and they want the same thing.
0: So, well, you, you actually bring up a good point now. They want sameness. Yeah. Well, yeah, in a way they do. But so, but you are bringing up a good point about, and this is more unique to single family homes than, you know, multifamily, but multifamily isn't void of the comment I'm about to make is that. One of the things that people do when they're building a house is they're not building it for longevity. So back in the day, you know, we're we're starting to sound all reminiscent here and everything. But but, you know, back in the day when somebody was building a craftsman house, going and flipping through a Sears and Roebuck catalog and said, you know, that's the house that I want and have the material sent out to them and then they, you know, ultimately built the house or had somebody build it for them. There was a there was a lot of sameness going on, but the house was being built as, okay, I'm going to live here and then maybe my children will live here and maybe their children will live here kind of thing. They never really thought about the return on their investment. They were building it to live in it and not think about how to sell it. Nowadays we literally are thinking about the you know, as you said perfectly, about how the market is going to view any choice that I make about finishes or anything else or the way that it is or how many bedrooms it's got or the size and what is it you know, how is it versus the rest of the houses in the neighborhood and so on and so forth.
1: It's real it's really obvious why, right? Because we live in a different time. We live in a time where we can hop on a plane. Hold on. Let me finish. We we hop on a plane. We're across the country in in five hours, right? And that was not the way people from the 1800s or early 20th century lived. They grew up in an area. They built their house. It was on a farm, perhaps, and they lived in there. They lived there or no more than five miles away from there for the rest of their lives and people don't live that way anymore we have jobs you fly to st, okay, st. louis for okay. your job several times a week and so people move more so there's so, a very so, different mentality to the whole thing
0: so there, there, there's something funny about that though from you okay where did you where did you grow up
1: i, I grew up right where i live
0: exactly yeah but Evan, i'm, where I'm did you probably,
1: grow up? I, but but that's that but what i mean is that i'm I 'm unique in that sense, right? I mean, I know plenty of people I went to high school with that don 't live anywhere near here anymore. They live across the country they live in other states um, north south wherever and But my point is that people don 't come enter the equation anymore in the same way, so they don 't think that way.
2: Let's take a minute out of the show here and talk about RCAT. And so what's the one thing we all do in our practice? We all search the internet for content, right? Well, we want to let you know about RCAT.com. RCAT is an online resource devoted to bringing content to the building professional. They have huge libraries you can access, and they don't hit you up for subscriptions. There are no fees, and they won't make you register to download the content. We've all been there. You finally find the right file, and you get blocked with a registration pop-up, and you think... Thanks for wasting my time. I'm going to go find it somewhere else. RCAT's BIM library is really second to none and available in just about any format you need. In fact, their entire BIM library is formatted for the last five versions of Revit, and their CAD detail library has thousands of CAD details. And if you need specs, the RCAT library is the most consistent library you will find. Every single spec is written in the CSI three-part format. There's so much more on their site, including catalogs, videos, and spec wizard. Go to rcat.com or download their app to check it all out. It's a great free resource that you don't have to register to use. Check out rcat today at a-r-c-a-t.com, And don't forget that you can provide feedback on the website. Just use the button on the right side of just about every page. And if you have a suggestion to make rcat better, you can click that feedback button You can also use it as a way to let them know that ArcaSpeak sent you. So thanks, RCAT, for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. And let's get back to the conversation.
1: One thing I want to get into is I'd also like to talk or mention about the whole sameness factor in this goes the more and more that we travel and and you mentioned earlier in the show that I was down in Carmel Monterey this weekend. And what's interesting is that those are very unique places. And when we're in downtown Carmel, there are lots of different little, very interesting shops and there's no sameness to the downtown of the city of Livermore that I live in. Right. I mean, completely different places with their own unique architecture and, and style. Right. Yeah. But yet, but yet, just like a couple of miles down the road, there's a big shopping center, and there's a Home Depot, and there's a Staples, and uh, name name your big box store, right? And they're all over. It's just very weird that almost anywhere you go, it seems like, in the country now, we have those stores everywhere.
0: And it not it always kind of like just outside of the fringe of like, okay, here's like the, the cutesy little postcard downtowns. And then just outside of that, that's where everybody does their business kind of thing. You know, here's the, you know, the Walmarts and the everything else, Yeah, you know, which is interesting because, uh, so DC had DC for the longest time, basically shut Walmart out from ever doing business because they've got strict guidelines for big box retail and stuff. And Walmart never really wanted to conform to it. And ultimately they did. And built one-off, very unique Walmart buildings. And as weird as this is going to sound, some of the better-looking, more recent construction has been those Walmart buildings. They've got they've got just this kind of architectural factor to them that's a lot different than um, a lot of other places. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any photographs of them. But I mean, you know, there was like a little... One of them's got a brick colonnade out front, you know, with some uh, exposed steel and, you know, glass. And it just has kind of a, a flavor to it that fits very nicely into the surrounding neighborhood.
1: You know where I've seen that, Cormac, and examples of that around here is McDonald's. There's a McDonald's in Fremont in the Mission District, which is an older neighborhood actually just down the road from uh uh, mission uh, that's it, in Fremont and you look at that McDonald's and it doesn't look like any McDonald's you'd ever see anywhere else. It is built like a old mission and it looks great actually as a McDonald's. And I bring that up cause I saw another one today in Monterey and it didn't look anything like a McDonald's. It didn't even have yellow golden arches. They were black to match the other black accents on the building to look like a, a building that would be appropriate to see in Monterey.
2: Yeah, the cities have gotten a lot, lot tougher in the last 10 years on that kind of stuff with their specific plans, and, and everybody has to fit into that. And that, I think, is a, in response to what you're talking about, Cormac, where they want their city to have that identity and that feeling and that that history, even when new things come in, right? They've got to kind of match. It's it's a really weird thing. I mean, this you guys were talking about post-war housing and how people ordering houses out of Sears catalogs. I don't think it's that much different today for the majority yeah, no. of the population. No, 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 it isn't at all. Yeah, and so I mean, people want to shop for a house like they want to shop for a car because they're not comfortable going to an architect and putting their life savings into their hands, and and so they go and they they want to buy something that checks the boxes. It's got this many. Uh, bedrooms and it's got this many bathrooms and it's got this many car spaces in the garage and it's you know, okay well maybe one less because i'm going to put the office in instead and then then there you go it's a custom house right with quotes around that. <laughs> yeah um and and so but for the most part i mean this is where people don't realize how architects can make a difference in their communities and they can make their house fit them like a glove uh, because they don't understand the concept of that they're they're comparing themselves to everybody else they want to be the same as everybody else for the most part or they want to stand out with one more car garage or you know in very small ways so it's a it's a real catch 22 for the profession that we're in i think because you are talking about a very small percentage of people who are willing to go through what it takes to build a house that is going to last for generations which i think People idealize that that as the American dream. When today, I think people are still doing exactly what they were doing then, which is not like planning generations. They're planning for this is what I need right now, and I need it right. quick. I need it fast. I need to be in that house in six weeks. And uh, and so it's it's kind of the race to the bottom with you know developer led uh, housing tracks like this. You know they're slamming them together as fast as they can and put them as close. Drive down the freeways; these houses are five feet apart on the freeway it's it's craziness the stuff that we're building and, you know because of these housing shortages that are in the urban areas right uh, and so right. they're just cramming these houses together as much as they can, even though they don't have to farther away from the urban centers and uh, it's it's just totally screwing up the landscape and it's making it so that you don't have cities that feel like anything it's like you 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 could be anywhere and you can be nowhere at the same time and it all looks the same
0: exactly and that and that's what's been somewhat i guess i guess mentally distressing me because you know you just look at these things that was so a- another thing we've uh, you know up in up in baltimore where our office is it's in a lot of old factory buildings and stuff like that that they've converted into um, office buildings or residential buildings and stuff like that. So, you know, it's got a very, it it still has a very Baltimore feel to it. Um, you know, because these buildings have been a part of the landscape of Baltimore for, you know, the past hundred plus years. And so they've been there and kind of, they've developed around them And the language that's developed around them has just helped it, you know, kind of augmented what was already there. And, you know, a lot of the same thing, you know, in, in our DC office. But in in the DC office, a lot of the, the area where the particular office is, is this new development area. It's called NOMA. Uh, it's north of Massachusetts Avenue, um, I guess mm-hmm. is what the acronym is. And the acronym never existed until a developer got a hold of it and created some... Um, thing. And now there's this whole branding effort going on for this particular neighborhood. And originally it was a lot of, you know, maybe two, three story row home type things that were basically leveled. And so there was these big tracts of land that were just empty and vacant for long, long periods of time that were just north of the U.S. Capitol building. And now that they're under development, they all look the same. The office buildings, the um, residential buildings—they look like stacked rectangles. That to differentiate themselves between the two, they do a change of material, or they get a little quirky, um, you know, like picture framing around the window kind of stuff. And this one's got I mean, the shutters, and this one's got the bump out. Y- See, they're different. Yeah, and and but you know, you get then. I get off the plane in St. Louis and I'm driving into um, or actually taking the Metro um, into where the um, Washington university is and I'm driving past some developments and it looks the exact same as what was being built in this Noma area of DC. And then you go into some of the more um, developing areas in Baltimore and sure enough, they're building the same damn high-rise okay. residential that looks exactly the same as the one I just saw in St. Louis or D.C. or down in Saint Petersburg, Florida, or okay. up All in right. you know okay. Detroit, Michigan. And it's just I,
1: it's annoying. Okay, so jump I, uh, yeah, so I got two things to say on that. First off, do I need to call us out on our own bullshit here and just say oh, yeah. that we're three old guys yelling at the? The Club. fact that you know yelling at the cloud, get off our lawns, you know no. times change, right Times change and and development change, the factors involved in development change, and you know let, let yes, things are do they the do? same. Well, well, yes, they do. you just said they do well but, uh, let me let me give you some go ahead, go ahead. background into maybe why we're seeing some of this uh at least from a home developer aspect because i that's a a good part of what i do and i mean part of it is that we used to have home developers that were smaller uh, smaller developers family owned they would go develop different pieces in their in their areas right and Slowly over time, and I've seen this really happen over the last probably 30 years, and it's probably been a little bit longer, maybe 40 years, is that more and more of these smaller, individual, somewhat unique developers are all being bought up or have been mostly all bought up, right? We all have heard the names Lenar and Pulte and some of the other uh, large, uh, yeah, and yeah. all of these large home builders. Well, what they've done to expand over time because they have shareholders and they always have to show they're making a profit and they can't have any down quarters. And so, and they always have to be expanding, right? They're, they're, I do not a understand growth. that. Yeah. Well, all right, I, that's wall street and I don't even want to get into that. But the whole thing about that though, is the, the cost of what's happened is that these national developers are buying up. All of these smaller developers, they come in and say, okay, this is brand X way we do things. This is the way we do our houses. And oh, by the way, we have our plan book over here. So here's our houses that we have been successful with, right? So they don't pick bad stuff. They pick stuff that's sold. And it's right. like, well, this right. project has sold really well, or this particular plan, or that particular plan, or elevation style. So we're going to pull it over here and we're going to go build it over here. And then we're going to go build it over there and we're going to go build it over here. And then they come to California and we go, yeah, they ain't going to fly here. And I don't, I can't speak for the rest of the nation, but I do know that I've seen this over and over where these larger home builders come in and they come into town cities that I work in around here and they go, okay, well, here's this house from Texas and here's the elevations and we we're going to put it in your town and most of the planning departments go yeah no that that's too plain that's through this and a lot of that happens
0: so they they take the same floor plan and they Californ- Californiaize it or um
1: well whatever sometimes the, that sometimes that happens Cormac, but other times they start fresh we do a lot of work here that it starts over and they just do stuff here and they don't they're not very successful and I'm speaking mainly in the Bay Area and some of the areas around here um, where I have seen it be successful is out in the Central Valley, where right. the cities out in the Central Valley in California aren't as um i don't want to say sophisticated that's 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 not the right term to use, but at least for their housing stock that maybe they're not as uh picky. Maybe it's a better word about maybe how it looks or how it's done. They need, you know, they have much more land, so they're not as concerned with certain aspects of spe- specific zoning or something. They don't maybe have design guidelines because they haven't needed to in the past. So then developers come in and they say, Well, there's nothing that says we can't do that. And the cities are stuck, right? They're like, Oh, well, we don't have any requirements or guidelines yeah. for this. And then suddenly they, develop them after they've had a few projects built and they're very unhappy with them and they should be.
0: Well, you know what they do though, is that, you know, if a city does have a design guideline, they're like, well, we're not going to work in the city, but we'll work just outside of the city where they, that domain doesn't hit.
1: Sometimes that happens.
0: I mean, that happens
1: here in the counties that happens in the county and the restrictions are less restrictive.
0: I mean, and, and then, of course, you've got everybody who's complaining about, you know, well, you've got these design guidelines, so it restricts, you know, the architectural freedom of me being able to do this or that. And so, you know. What's oh, that's the point bullshit. Of it? I know. Tr- uh, trust me. I know. I what? I'm just saying, you know, this is the argument that you hear often when you have design guidelines like that. You know, I was in Annapolis today and. When you were here, in oh, you know, we went over to Annapolis. Where else in the U.S. do you feel, I mean, have you seen the city of Annapolis or felt like it was, I mean, to me, I always feel like it's somewhere very unique, very different than everywhere else. There are similarities in architectural styles and stuff like that, but the assemblage of buildings, the way it was built, the way it developed and all that other stuff, it's purely unique to Annapolis and that's what i like about these places is that they have their own identities and these constant developments that are are the cookie cutter national houses and stuff that come in and well you know this house is really old so let's tear it down and let's build a mcmansion or some three four five thousand square foot home that's fresh out of a catalog that is, you know, they're, they're national leading seller or things like that, or like they're doing in my neighborhood where they're taking down all these little houses. And I'm not saying that these little houses are anything to write home about. They're not, they're tiny little ugly houses. Um, but as they've grown up, well, they're just turning them into <laughs> giant ugly houses. Exactly. They are <laughs> very much. So they, oh, man. there are three houses in a row that look the exact same and they're painted the exact same and the only way that you can that i can tell the difference between the two or the three sorry is that one has a unpainted fence in front of it one has a painted fence in front of it and one doesn't have a fence and that's it (laughs) that is the only way you can tell the difference between the three
1: well, so are you asking everybody to remodels their house to actually have taste? Because that's a tall. No, I mean, well, you know,
0: I well, Evan was touching on it, you know, about the the value of an architect bringing in, you know, an, an architect rather than a, a oh, developer. And even well, okay. look, look, I, look, wait, real quick before cool. you start yelling at the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> I worked um, in North Florida. Uh, specifically uh, in an area called 30A. So along the 30A, and there's plenty of people who, you know, are going to be listening to this who know exactly what I'm talking about. There are tons of developments. But the one thing that's great about these developments are is they all have design standards. And each one of these, you know, you basically have this, you know, accepted list of um, of architects that can build in there. And, you know, it, it's not exclusive. You can, you know, potentially bring your own architect, but they're all architect-designed houses in all of these things, and they're very unique. We've all learned in school about the, you know, the planned community or the traditional neighborhood-designed community of Seaside, of Seaside, Florida. And if you haven't, you should look it up because uh, that was one of the ones that started it. Well, there's a bunch of these new urbanist developments throughout this area in there that all have a unique character um to them and each house is different has a similar language because that's part of the design standard Um, but as a as a assemblage of a whole this whole area of 30a which has kind of been adopted um the nickname the design coast it has a very unique flavor to it That's like no other place in Florida because of the fact that the developers there, and it was all developer led, um, development or construction there, but they had the sensibility of wanting to do design work, not Mm -hmm. let's just put a bunch of Pulte homes or was it Lenar Lanier um, homes or Ryan homes or whatever homes, um brand x homes they had the they had the idea that we want this to be unique and that's what actually got it to sell not that hey you can go out and pull a a catalog home but you can have your own built to suit home in this community but it's going to be unique to you and even if it's a, a vacation home or your your home for maybe 10 years before you grow out of it and move on and And all that other stuff but it's unique and each one of them were unique and and that was what I liked about it I mean hell Frank Lloyd Wright uh, designed a um, he wanted to do a larger developer developer community Um, but in um, New York um, kind of just outside of the city it's this place called Usonia and Usonia is it was started by him um, kind of designed by him but You know, a lot of the, um, people that were working with him, uh, designed a lot of these homes. So there's a bunch of unique homes, but it's this kind of architect led developer, um, community. And it's a bunch, I think it's like 30 homes or something like that, that are all of these, you know, I'm getting a little off of kind of where I am, but I mean, it was just this whole, everything was a little bit different. Everything was, you know, designed, um,
1: and I guess that's kind of where I'm going is like, well, you know, come on here. Dude. I, I have one response to that. First off, there's plenty of bad architecture out there. Oh, so yeah, yeah, just yeah. because a house is designed by an architect,
2: 98% actually,
1: Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. Uh, that that's, that's, I'm Frank one probably, uh, that's right. Yeah. So I've clearly fallen into that category, but there's, there's, that's not always going to be the answer. And for every developer out there or, You know, home um, builder—they all have different priorities. They're all businesses, and they have to make money. And they're—they're doing their part, right? And nobody wants to go out and build garbage, but sometimes that happens. So, yeah, um, garbage. Yeah, it—it's—it's—it's the nature of things. Not everything's going to be perfect, right? Or the best house or the best building. Let's take a quick break here. I want to actually talk about how architects can run their own businesses maybe a little better so that we can do these great buildings or great houses. 2%. The 2%. <laughs> well, I don't want to say this This is for the 2%. This is for the other 98%, no, no. right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, we one of the things many of us struggle with is doing timesheets, doing keeping track of that information, dealing with invoicing, dealing with keeping track of your budgets and projects and things like that. And our, our sp- other sponsor here is BQE Software, and they have a product called ArchiOffice, which is designed specifically for architectural offices to do all of those things. So BQE Software is an AIA Advantage Partner, and they, as I mentioned, are the makers of ArchiOffice and ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects and it will help you manage people and projects while you focus on designing great architecture. Whether you're working remotely or on-site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in accurate and timely manner and I know that's a huge issue for a lot of architects is getting those invoices out and if you only if you want to get paid then check out archioffice and it'll help you do that so our podcast listeners by the way can get a fully functional 15 day trial of archioffice at a special link so there'll be a link in the show notes for this but if you're writing it down and if you're driving don't stop and write or you can stop and write it down don't try and do it while you're driving but anyway so that special link is www.bqe.com. So check them out. No installation required. You can get it up and running in seconds. You can work from anywhere at any time, and you can try it risk-free, no credit card required, no obligation, no risk. So go to bqe.com. And and download ArchiOffice office and give it a try and we want to thank bqe for sponsoring this episode of archispeak
2: all right so i've got a question now for the the thinking about the the work that each of the firms you work at does is there a common thread through it all or or is it is it very piecemeal
0: stylistically you know i i don't know the right way to say that but you know it's interesting that you bring that up because i was just having the, a conversation when i was thinking about sameness about you know a common architectural language for the firm and do we have one and and we don't because you know we're we're working across campuses um you know nation hell worldwide and in in each of them are unique, each of them have a very different feel to them, and you know there's there's a little bit of um a little bit of sameness in the way that maybe we approach um you know kind of some of the interiors, if it's uh you know a classroom or things like that, you know because you know we are talking about like. You know, what what does it mean to be a, you know, let's just say a lab building or, you know, the classrooms and how how does a nursing school function and work and things like that. So but I mean, you know, like let's take, for instance, you know, we have a project down at Auburn and, you know, it's just commenting that our building is very Auburn. It fits the campus. It is um, it works with within its context Um, We've got a couple of other projects going on right now, and I'm not going to say them because I don't know if I can. I'm allowed to, but we've got a couple of other buildings that we've got in the works, and each of them are 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 different buildings, you know, different building types and things like that. That are on different campuses, and they feel they they there's there's the language of the campus. It's unique um in itself uh in the way that it kind of like fits within the you know within the um the campus but as an overall language it's not too foreign from it um it, it fits in it plays nicely it plays well with all the others but i don't think that it's creating to me in a way um i don't feel like it's creating sameness
2: yeah i think it's interesting to think about it from a firm perspective because you know our firm is nine offices I think and you know over 300 people and you start to think about the project typologies there's K12 there's higher ed there's civic there's healthcare it would be really difficult to have a language or a style that maybe that firm subscribed to and honestly I I don't even know what that really looks like because you're looking right, at right. well yeah, you're you looking do. at like you said fitting into so many different <laughs> Contexts uh, that are really client-based, region-based, um, entity-based, so that so that it would be really difficult. But I think that's also a strength of going to work at a company like that because the work yeah. is so ranging that it doesn't box the designer into uh, that style or that way of thinking, and and it really does allow for that freedom to happen. I don't I don't know how you could even do that, but the way what I liken it to is. Um maybe an author who writes a series of books, you know, like like think about harry Potter right that that author has is, is does that one thing and they do it really well, or think about a band, you know, think about the police or the Beatles, or you know they I guess the Beatles is a bad example because they kind of reinvented themselves through different albums um but there are some bands who have a sound and and to me that's their language it's their sound right, it right does, it's right. not the language they speak, it's how they sound, and so there's definitely architects who are like that. I can think of a, the y- yeah. books that I have in my library right here that speak okay. a language. Like, think about Tom Kundig, right? It's, it's exactly what I'm talking about. We don't have that. <laughs> so it's a it's a very interesting thing when you think about sameness. Like, are you, are you constantly evolving the language, or is it just a different language depending on who's designing and the project and the client and, and all that stuff?
0: Well, I brought the I brought this up when I was, you know, having that. God, you hit almost perfect. It's it's like you literally are, were, were sitting at the the table with me, because I, I, I we were talking about that very thing, um, when I was talking about sameness with you know the people in the office, and I was you know specifically talking about, um, how more recently you know the the whole, um, you know, top. 100 architecture firms and, and things like that. And, you know, both of our firms are on the list, but one of the things that was low ranking for us was design. And we've got a lot of really good buildings, uh, that we've done and each of them. I think are very unique in their approach. We, we've got design awards recently for a couple of, um, Travel plazas that we did in Maryland, and if you look at these things, they're they're very unique to the typology of a travel plaza. But I think they speak to what a lot of people think Maryland is, but still with a very unique approach. And you know, I I, I think about all of the firms that are ahead of us you know, both your firm and my firm that are ahead of us that scored very high on design and they have a very unique to the firm design language that is the same carried out through every one of their projects no matter where that project is. And one of them that comes to mind is Caltrava. So when you get Caltrava, you know what kind of you know, you're going to get a building that has a somewhat similar language. You you click on, uh, you go to his website and you click on some of the more recent buildings and there's the, um, the building, uh, the university building that he did in Florida. Um, mm-hmm. it's kind of blanking. I think it's like Florida Polytechnic, mm-hmm. uh, I, university. Yeah, I, I can see it in my mind. Um, and it's got a very similar language to say the um, Milwaukee museum or the new um, transit building in New York. Right. And, and even though they are different, they're very similar. Well, they, they come from the same pen, right? It's, they come from the same pen and, yeah. but that pen doesn't, and I know that this is going to piss a few people off. Um, it doesn't seem to care about where it's striking. It's the same strokes, no matter where I, I have seen the, the transit building just from the outside. Cause, uh, the last time we were, we were in New York, it was under construction, but and and it wasn't open yet. And, uh, and I've seen a lot of people posting a lot of beautiful images. It's a, an absolutely beautiful building, but is it New York? Does it, feel like New York or does it feel like it could be anywhere? Could it be picked up and put somewhere else? Um right. I, I, I would I would argue that it both has some New York qualities, but it can also be anywhere. Yeah. I agree I agree with what you're saying. And this is
2: this is again why I feel like it's uh, to the advantage of working at a company like the one that I do because if I so to give some examples, I designed a library in the mountains and I designed a community center down in the unincorporated area in Los Angeles. And there's nothing between those two buildings that is shared, right? It's not, it's, it's just, it's one of those things where it is, the the problem was solved for, it it was their problem in the mountains and it was their problem down in, in Whittier. I mean, it's completely different set of problems and it is a solution for them. And I don't know how you do that when you have a kit of parts. And I think that's something that really annoys me about certain designers that I've either worked with or that I know or that I've just seen their work uh, where uh-huh. they're using the same kit of parts over and over and over again. And I just wonder if they don't have any
0: new ideas. Well, you know, it's interesting. is because I I, <laughs> I worked for... I worked for a firm and I worked for, you know, there was a, a guy who was one of their lead designers and he would basically, it it would almost be like a checklist of, yeah, I hit this, you know, kind of design style. I, I hit this kind of thing and it was all his basic kit of parts and the assemblage of his kit was so confusing to me. and, And there was very, um, there was a lot of, uh, discontent from the owner. Um, and then I became the project manager of the project, um, taking over from a friend. And she kind of had some similar issues where we had to contend with you know, basically kind of making this vision um, what it was. But then ultimately, thankfully, um, we got an opportunity to kind of change it from the standard kit of parts and change it to something that seemed a little more contextual the sameness a lot of times can come from things like, well, you've got, you know, your standard building, you know, materials and things like that. And, you know, so a lot of design is driven by the materiality. Well, I've also seen where you've got the same materials um, that, and you can do completely different things with them. And, you know, Kieran Timberlake is a great example of a firm that there's an interesting sameness in a way that you can kind of tell a Karen Timberlake building, but each of them have a unique language that adapts to each project. Yeah. And
2: I know what you're talking about, and it's hard to distinguish between the two in words, but when you see it, you know,
0: it. it really is because, you know, like they did, um, a, a great building that they did uh locally here was um an addition to Sidwell Friends um school a, a private school in um in DC where typically all of the president's children's go to um and you can tell that it's a Karen Timberlake you know addition but you can also tell that it's very it it still fits that DC flavor that even though this is a firm from you know uh, Philadelphia, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's just Philadelphia. I mean, it doesn't feel like you know, oh, they tried to impose you know a Philadelphia kind of sensibility onto a DC building. It very well feels like a DC building, and there's a series of um, uh, of libraries that are around town, and I, I believe three of them were designed by the same. Uh, same firm and the firm uh it was it was Philip Freelon who did them, and he's out of uh um North Carolina. well, when he did them, each of those have a different flavor that fits the neighborhood that they're in um they're unique they're different, but honestly they fit that neighborhood and i don't I can't see them being picked up and put in another neighborhood. Because they're contextual, they're but they're also unique, you know. And you're right; it, it's it's really hard to put into words. Think about when we were in Philadelphia at the Liberty
2: Bell Center by Boland Suwinski Jackson. I mean, that was yeah. the same thing that you're talking about. It's contextual; it fits, and it's and it's modern at the same time, and it's right. it's woven right. into the fabric of that downtown area of the Liberty Bell area that it's just amazing the way that it's stitched into there. And at the it, same time feels new and fresh.
0: It's, it's framed by kind of seventies high rise or federal buildings, you know, pre-colonial buildings. Um, it's, it's framed by all sorts of things, but it contextually fits. Yeah. And I don't think that it could be picked up and put somewhere else. No. Cause it really just kind of responds to everything that's around it. But it's unique to itself, yep. and it, and it kind of fits. And, and And I guess that's kind of where we're going is, is that at the end of the day, sameness is kind of just it. It's a comfort that you fall into, right? Neil, you said it best that a lot of times, you know, especially like working with developers and things like that, you know, they're looking for something that is quick and easy that sells and can turn around. and And sometimes, you know, it's the the factory mentality, and sometimes it's just you know of the area. But I mean, it's still It's something to kind of like quickly turn around. But then you also have kind of the opposite thought is that you can still make it something quick and easy because you're working with the same kit of parts, but something that's very unique to the place.
1: Yeah, kit of parts is a, I hate that term.
0: (laughs) But you know what I'm
2: talking about, right?
1: I Absolutely. I mean, I think. Oh, I so (laughs) know what you're talking about. It's so much a part of what I do on a on a on a regular basis, right? In in most of the my past work doing production housing is it's a big part of that. I do think though that you mentioned earlier about firms, you know, what what's the firm like? Is there a design language? And at least at the firm I work for, we're pretty diversified. We do quite a bit of different um types of Projects. Most of it is surrounded uh, about residential, although a large a larger part is becoming more of a commercial, and always has been some amount of commercial. But there definitely was very early on, at least when I first started at the firm uh, back in the early uh, say mid, early nineties, there definitely was a, a very um, apparent design look to a lot of the types of projects, whether they were commercial or even residential. And that was very much driven by the person who founded the firm. He had a, a specific language that he worked with, that he was good with, and, uh, and it took the firm a long time to kind of grow out of that a little bit and expand on it. I shouldn't say grow out, but just expand on that. Uh, and there was certainly a, a good part of firm's work that reflected that for many years and the firm has changed a lot since then and especially as the main uh, founder has probably um, gotten to a point where he's less involved in the day-to-day aspect of the bulk of the work in the office and other people have you know spread their wings I maybe would be uh, a term to use but over time, though, a certain part of our work, though, is restricted to the particular type of business that, um, that we do, and that is being kind of mostly than the residential. So anyway, it's just very interesting. I don't like that term, but it is oftentimes uh, most of what we do.
0: Yeah, I mean, and everybody likes to use that kind of interchangeable with design. You know, it's, well, you know, you got your kit of parts and, and they think that it's design and it's, it's not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, honestly, guys, I didn't really think that we were going to, you know, pull a full show um, out of this. Uh, I thought that, you know, i just was one of the things that I've been thinking about. And so I'm kind of glad that you uh,
1: went along with me. Well, clearly we have lots to say on the topic. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot more, but, you know, yeah. Well, we have more episodes to come. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, before we leave this episode, we want to thank our episode sponsors. First, we have RCAT. Check out all the features they offer at ARCAT.com. We're also sponsored by BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice. And ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. Get a fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice at bqe.com slash ArchiSpeak. And make sure you use that link, bqe.com slash ArchiSpeak. And make sure to also visit our website at arcuspeakpodcast.com for links to our catalog of episodes and to sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to everything we mention in each of the episodes. So between episodes, please join us in the conversation at the Arcuspeak Podcast Facebook page or through Twitter. Links to everything can be found at the site at arcuspeakpodcast.com. So stay subscribed, everyone, and thanks for listening. See you. Bye. Bye. I join the choir to sing They're all competing for
2: some other thing I join the choir to sing
1: I join the choir to sing They're all competing for some other thing I join the choir to sing
0: So I run, I'm meant to run. This is great
1: I serve my nation under God. Service my city with all that I've got. But when I'm running, pleasure is fear. So I run, I'm meant to run.